Hey, we're starting this week, a several week sermon series called Unsung Heroes. Unsung heroes about men and women, people who are relatively unknown, but have done heroic, extraordinary things. We have unsung heroes from American history and American culture. There was a New York, I mean, a New Orleans, sorry, a New Orleans businessman named Andrew Higgins. Andrew Higgins built boats. He built boats for oil companies in South Louisiana so they could go about the the shallow waters there in the marsh on the coast. And when World War II came along, he built boats for the army and so for the military. And so during that time, he built these boats. They were amphibious landing uh, craft that could take soldiers and, and go up on a beachhead and let them out in a safe way as possible. And so Andrew Higgins developed what's called the Higgins boat that was used there at Normandy on D-Day. And General Eisenhower, later President Eisenhower, says that Andrew Higgins was the man who won the war for us. Some of you may have heard his name, some of you may not, but he is an unsung hero in American history. Another unsung hero in American history is a man named Willis Carrier. Willis was a young engineer in Brooklyn, New York, and he came up with the science and technology that led to what we know as air conditioning. Unsung hero, amen? If you live in the South, we ought to remember Willis Carrier. There are a lot of unsung heroes, but over the next few weeks, we're going to look at unsung heroes from the pages of Scripture. Did you know that in the Bible, there are over 3,200 people listed? Now, a lot of those people, we just know their name, a first name. We have some inkling of, of the culture they lived in, the, the time in which they lived, but we don't know much else about them. Some of those 3,200 people we know a lot about. Think about Moses and David and Mary and Peter and all of the main characters. And then the Bible is full of a lot of different men and women, people who have a little bit of information about. We know a little bit about them. It's kind of like when you watch a movie, you know, you go uh, to the movies or you're watching a movie at home and you get through watching the movie and then they roll the credits. You know, they roll the credits, they start listing from the star actress or actor all the way down and you may sit there and read the, the first maybe five, ten dozen to figure out who is who, but after that you kind of lose interest, right? Well, if the Bible were a movie and it was played and the credits rolled at the end, you would see those big actors at the top But these unsung heroes would be toward the bottom. You wouldn't even notice who they were. But although they were anonymous, although we may not know who they are, they had an incredible impact for the kingdom of God. Their anonymity did not hinder them from being a difference maker for the Lord. And so as we go over these next few weeks, you may feel like kind of an ordinary person. Most of us in here beyond our little circle, circles have no or not much name recognition in the world around us, but you can still be used for the kingdom of God. You can be an unsung hero of the faith. This week, we're going to look at a couple, at a man and a woman named Priscilla and Aquila. Now, Priscilla and Aquila, they were around when, when the early church, right after Jesus was resurrected, the, the gospel is being spread and, and the early church is starting to develop and they were major players. When Christianity needed some good foot soldiers, Priscilla and Aquila rose to the occasion. 
They're found four different places in Scripture, just some, some little descriptions about them, some mentions throughout. We look at Acts 18, we're going to see in Rome, uh, Romans 16, 1 Corinthians 16, then 2 Timothy 4. And we're going to learn some things about Priscilla and Aquila. And we're going to see some characteristics that we can put into play in our lives, how, how we can emulate them so that we can be a difference maker for the kingdom. So let, let's start off. We're going to go through every instance of scripture in which they're mentioned. Some of them are very brief. Some of them have a little more information. So we're going to read all of those, maybe get a little bit of an understanding of who they are, who they were. And then after that, I want to talk about three characteristics from their lives. So let's jump in. Acts chapter 18. Acts 18, the, uh, Jesus has died, resurrected, the church has spread. Paul now is, is the leader, kind of the lead missionary, the leader of this early church. Acts chapter 18, I'm going to turn there with you. Acts 18, Paul, Paul is now going to be in Corinth. Paul is in Corinth, and it says this, after this, 18 verse 1, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus. So he was of Jewish descent, Jewish lineage. He was from Pontus. Pontus is in what we call Turkey now. So he lived in Asia Minor. That's where he was from. It says he had recently come from Italy, though, with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius, the emperor at that time, had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. So anyone who was a practicing Jew, anyone who was of Jewish descent, Claudius had all of them kicked out of Rome. And so you have, you have Aquila and Priscilla married at this time, living in Rome. We're not sure how they got there. We believe Priscilla, because of her name, was from a, a noble family there in Italy somewhere. Again, Aquila somewhere from modern-day Turkey. Somewhere along the way, they meet, they're married, they live in Rome. We believe that they were Christians at that time living in Rome. If you read the book of Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost where Peter delivers the great sermon and 3,000 people are saved, it, it mentions of just several places. It mentions Pontus and Rome, that people at Pontus and Rome were there in Jerusalem that heard the gospel and were saved. So possibly they were there, possibly someone from their hometown was there and brought the gospel. Either way, they're married, they're followers of Christ living in Rome, but they're kicked out of Rome and they have to travel to Corinth where they meet Paul. Verse 3, and because he was a tent maker, Paul, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. So we know Paul, he was, his occupation, his vocation, he was a tent maker. That was his craft. That was his trade. And so was Priscilla and Aquila. They were tent makers and they had that, not only followers of Christ, had that kinship, but they built tents together. They were tent makers. Uh, that was their craft. And so they had this kinship. And it says that actually during that time, Paul stayed with them. Paul stayed with them. So uh, bounce on down to, to Acts 18, verse 18. So about a year and a half has passed uh, in those few short verses between there. Verse 18, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut because of a valley he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. So we kind of see what's happening. They, they're in Corinth together. They stay there about a year and a half or a little more. Then they set sail, end up in Ephesus. Paul says, hey, you guys, y'all stay in Ephesus. Bounce on down to verse 24, Acts 18, 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. 
He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, of Jesus. And he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home, and they explained to him the way of God more adequately, or, or, or discipled him, uh, filled him in maybe on some of the blanks he, he, he was missing from his teaching. And so we see from the book of Acts what's going on here. The, the early moments of their ministry, early moments of who they were as impact makers for the kingdom. Flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. If you have a Bible, go ahead and flip over there on your phone. You can. 1 Corinthians 16. It says this about him. This is Paul writing a letter to the church in Corinth, okay? It says, the churches, uh, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 19. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. All right, now flip back to Romans chapter 16. We're reading these in kind of chronological order. Romans chapter 16, 3 through 5. 3 through 5, Paul again writing to the church in Rome. He says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, verse 3. My fellow workers, my, my co-laborers, my, my partners in Christ Jesus, they risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Last but not least, flip to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. We know 2 Timothy, uh, Paul is writing to Timothy, who is the pastor, elder, leader of the church there in Ephesus. And so he's writing this letter, and he includes some remarks about Priscilla and Aquila. 2 Timothy 4, verse 19, he just says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, who were there in Ephesus with Timothy. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 4, it was written in around 66 A.D., Paul first met Priscilla and Aquila back in Corinth, remember we read in Acts 18, in around 50 AD. So that means at least for 16 years, Priscilla and Aquila were co-laborers, were partners in the gospel. Despite difficulty, despite rising persecution among Christians, they were faithful to the gospel. And Paul, each and every time, has kind words to say to them or about them. They were faithful servants of the Lord. And so from this, we see some things. We learn some characteristics about Priscilla and Aquila, how their faithfulness, how their love for the Lord, how their love for people impacted many. So what characteristics can we glean from their life? I want to give you three. Three. So the first one is this, is they were available Available. So you may have missed it going back and forth, all the passages, but, but let me, let's trace the arc of, of kind of their journey over these 16 years. So again, they're living in Rome. That's where the story picks up. Priscilla and Aquila married, living in Rome, followers of Christ. Claudius kicks them out. They go to Corinth. In Corinth, they meet Paul. They stay in Corinth for a year and a half, a little more possibly. They're doing ministry there. And then the call of the Lord brings all of them to Ephesus. They stay in Ephesus a while. While in Ephesus, they meet this guy, Apollos, who's like an apostle who's going around spreading the gospel. They disciple him for even greater impact. 
We know from history that Claudius, he lifts the edict that Jews can come back. And so they go back home to Rome. They go back to Rome. And then at some point at the end of that 16 year period, they get the call to go back to Ephesus. They move over and over and over it. And if you've ever moved towns, much less just moved homes, you know how moving can be inconvenient, right? How moving can be a challenge. And in my 20, you know, three years of marriage, we've moved five different times, five different cities. And each time you have to reestablish your patterns, right? If you move to a new town, you know, you start your new job, you have to figure all that out. You have to find somewhere to live. You have to meet your neighbors. You have to reestablish personal relationships. You have to find where am I going to go shopping? Where do I shop for groceries? What do I do? What are my kids going to do? Get connected into schools. You know, all the different stressors, if you've moved, of moving. Yet Priscilla and Aquila They were willing to move. They were willing to go through all of the challenges. Why? Because they made themselves available to the Lord. They understood, catch this, what we read about in the New Testament, that if you're a follower of Jesus today, you're a stranger, you're an exile, you're an alien, you're a nomad here on earth, and your citizenship, catch this, is in heaven. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews chapter 11 says about it. He's talking about men and women of faith here. Hebrews chapter 11, 13 through 16. All these people, men and women of faith, died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and they welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. Catch this. If they had longed from the country they came from, they could have gone back. In other words, if they were attached so much to their homeland, they would have gone back and settled there. But they were looking for something greater. They were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why, catch this, what an amazing statement here. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. Do you want to be in that, that, that calling? Do you want God to say, I'm not ashamed to be their God? Because the exact thing it is attached to is that you live as a nomad, as a stranger here on this earth. In other other words, we don't become so attached to places and things and jobs that we're not willing to go when God says go. Because why? This earth is not our home. We're to be available to the Lord. We're to put, put it this way, put our yes on the table. When God says go, we go. You know, this scene in Isaiah chapter six, if you've read this, Isaiah chapter six, Isaiah the prophet, he has this vision of the throne room of God, if you can imagine. He has this vision. There's God seated on the throne and and there's smoke. It represents his holiness and it, it fills the room. And in that moment, Isaiah being a sinful man, just like you and just like me, feels his sinfulness. It's like, man, I'm in the presence of greatness and holiness and I'm, I'm nothing. He literally says, woe is me. In other words, I'm done. I'm finished. And in an act of mercy, God sends an angel to, to put a coal on his lips that represents forgiveness and purification. And so in that moment, when he's feeling sinful, God forgives him. And this is what Isaiah says, Isaiah 6, 8, right after that happens, after he's forgiven. He says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. 
Isaiah said, I'm available. Where do you want me to go? Priscilla and Aquila says, God, we're available. Where do you want us to go? And I believe that's the test of our commitment as followers of Jesus. Are we willing to be available to whatever he wants us to do? And that may mean staying right where you are, but he has something more for you. Maybe he wants you to go just across the street. Maybe it's that neighbor you've never talked to, or maybe just to the office next door to you, or maybe it's just a friend that you've never talked to about the Lord. But are you available to the plans of God? If you want to be an unsung hero with the faith, we have to make ourselves available to God. So they were available. Next, they were missional. They were missional. Now, what does that mean? Not a word we use a lot. Missional means they lived on mission with God. It means that the overarching purpose of their life, above everything, was to shine the light of Christ, was to spread the gospel, was the advancement of the kingdom. No matter what they did, no matter where they were, they were on mission with God. So what did that look like for them? Well, again, their, their vocation, they were what? Tent makers. They were tent makers. And Priscilla and Aquila didn't see their job as just something they did from eight to five. Then they got to live life the rest of the hours of the day. They didn't see their vocation, their job as something just to make a living. They saw that it had purpose. They saw that their vocation, their occupation, catch this, was an opportunity. That their occupation, whatever they did, for you it could be your job, students, your occupation may be school, you may be in a season of retirement, whatever space in life you occupy, your occupation is an opportunity for you to share the gospel, to shine the light of Christ, to encourage people, to love people in the name of the Lord. Do you see your occupation as an opportunity? I firmly believe it is not the design of God for us just to live, have a job, make money, retire, and die. That is not God's plan for us. God's plan for us is to say yes to him, to live on mission, and to advance the kingdom of God no matter what we do. Whether we're a minister at a church, whether a teacher at a school, a lawyer in the community, no matter what it is. We're to be on mission with God. We're to use our occupation as an opportunity to reach the world. Because guess what? God has placed you where you are by design and on purpose. Do you know that? That God has placed you in the office, in the spheres of influence, wherever, because he has a purpose for you. He has people for you to reach that no one else can reach, but you have the influence in that sphere. Are you living on mission with God wherever you are? So they were available. They They were missional. Last, they were hospitable. Did you notice as we read through all of these different scripture references, how many times it said something was happening at their house? Something was happening at their house. I mean, they liked a good party, I assumed. You know, they liked hanging out, being with people. I can imagine they had a great back patio or something. You can imagine. But Priscilla and Aquila loved having people in their home, but hosting people that many times over and over, it's a little inconvenient. It's costly, right? You know, we here in the South, you know, we talk about having company over, right? We're having company over tonight. 
When you have company over, what do you do? You have to, you, you try to clean, you get everything in order, and maybe you didn't clean the baseboards, and then you got to, oh, I got to make sure I got to have the right food, and oh, do we have the right, you know, silverware, do we, all those things, it, it takes preparation. It can be inconvenient. It can be costly, but Priscilla and Aquila saw the inconveniences. They say that the cost, that it was worth it, worth it for an impact. Just in the four scenarios, we saw that they had people in their home. Guess what happened? Paul lived with them for a year and a half. They were able to pour into Paul as he started the church in Ephesus, as he shepherded the church in Ephesus. They invited Apollos into their home. Apollos was a major influence of the gospel. They were able to welcome him into their home, share some things about the Lord, show love and grace toward him so he could make greater impact. It says in in Rome and in Ephesus, they had a church that met weekly in their home. They let people come in and invade their space so that they would know about the Lord, so they would worship the Lord. They saw their home, catch this, as a powerful ministry tool. Do you see your home, where you live, as a powerful ministry tool? No matter how big it is, no matter how small it is, no matter how extravagant or simple, your home is a powerful ministry tool. Are you being hospitable? Are you opening it up so that others can be encouraged, so that others can be discipled in their faith? And now that's going to look different depending on the season of life and, and different circumstances for each of us. But let me encourage you in this day and time where it's so easy to go in our house, hit the button to the garage, and just stay holed up inside our house and not let anyone in. Now is the perfect time to be hospitable. What a difference it would make in the people around you. Because being hospitable is more about just opening your home, opening the door, allowing people to come in, sit in your living room, eat some food. It's really more about a disposition, isn't it? It's more about an attitude. You're wanting to to get to know people. I mean, a conversation at, at, at a kitchen table is much different than a conversation in the hallway here at church. You're a little more honest. You're a little more vulnerable. You're just opening yourself, your heart up to them. How are you using what God has given you to make an impact for the kingdom? Ask God to show you. Ask God to give you opportunities. Are you being hospitable today? You may not know the name Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball, he was a dry goods salesman in Boston in 1854. Probably never heard of him. But he was also a Sunday school teacher of teenage boys at his local church. And there was this young man, he was 17 years old, wanted nothing to do with God. He was there because someone made him go to church. And so Edward Kimball knew this. So he said, I'm going to go down where he's working. He worked at a shoe shop. I'm going to visit this young man, and I'm going to just encourage him in in the Lord. So Edward Kimball, one day after work, goes down to the shoe shop, meets up with a 17-year-old boy, tells him about Jesus, encourages him to follow Jesus. That boy that day commits his life to following Jesus. That young man's name was Dwight L. Moody. Now, some of you may have never heard the name Dwight L. Moody, but he was one of the greatest evangelists of all time, preached to millions worldwide. And because of the faithfulness of Edward Kimball, an unsung hero, an ordinary man who took a little bit of time out of his day, he was available to the plans of God. He was able to make a great impact for the kingdom through Dwight L. Moody, but his impact 
doesn't end there. So Dwight L. Moody begins an incredible ministry. He, he has a, a school and an institute and a publishing press that is very active and influential even today. But Dwight L. Moody, he traveled the world preaching the gospel. He became a, a great evangelist. And, and he, he, he discipled a man named Meyer, F.B. Meyer, there in, in London when he was on one of his trips F.B. Meyer caught the fire, caught, caught the, the passion to spread the gospel. And under his tutelage, a man named Wilbur J. Chapman came to know the Lord and became a great evangelist. He brought alongside a, a man named Billy Sunday. You may have heard of Billy Sunday, a former baseball player that he was able to influence. Billy Sunday preached the gospel, brought along and discipled a man named Mordecai Ham. And Mordecai Ham was here in the United States in Charlotte, North Carolina in the early 1900s declaring the gospel. And in that audience was a 16-year-old boy from North Carolina named Billy Graham. And it was at that, that moment in that service, Mordecai Ham preaching the gospel that Billy Graham said yes to Jesus. And Billy Graham was used of the Lord in great, great ways. Let me encourage you today. Be an unsung hero of the faith. Be an Edward Kimball. Just a dry good salesman from Boston who taught a Sunday school class. But he was available to the plans of the Lord. And the Lord used his obedience to impact literally millions. So today you, you may feel ordinary. Not many people may know your name. But from Edward's life, from Priscilla and Aquila's life, all God asks for us is to be available, to be missional. Just live on mission with God, whatever we're doing, wherever we are, and be hospitable to people around you, wherever you find yourself. Open up your heart and your home and allow God to use you for his glory. Would you pray with me? As you bow your heads, I want to remind you there'll be ministers here at the front, out in the lobby. If you've came in here with a prayer need and would need prayer, Maybe God is calling you to go, and you're, you're hesitant about answering that call. We'd love to talk to you and pray with you. Or maybe today you've never trusted Christ as Savior, and you want to say yes to him. We'd love to help you do that. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we understand that we may not have any name recognition across God this world, but that you can use us anyway, because ultimately it's for your glory. So I pray that you would help us to have an available spirit, that we would say yes to you, that if, God, you're calling us to go, that we'll go no matter where that is, across the street, across the world. God, that each and every day we'll have that missional mindset, that the overarching purpose for whatever we do is to shine the light of Christ, and that, God, we would open up our homes, would open up our hearts to people. God, we'd be hospitable, that it would speak, God, so, so strongly into their lives, that you would use that for your glory. And so God, we love you. God, we thank you that by your mercy, we even have the opportunity to serve you. So God, we thank you for Jesus who died for us, who gave us that chance. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Have a great week.